This is Lisa DeLay, and you are listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. Welcome, listeners, to the Spark My Muse podcast. Today, my guest is Christine Volters Paintner. She is an author, a poet, a spiritual director. She has her PhD in Christian spirituality, and she runs the online Abbey of the Arts. She lives in Galway, Ireland. And today, we're going to be talking about her poetry and her book, The Soul's Slow Ripening 12 Celtic Practices for Seeking the Sacred. Thank you, Christine, for being my guest today. Thanks, Lisa. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> I have been very enchanted with your work as your publisher has graciously sent me some of your books, and I've really been digging into them. And the Celtic sensibilities are very holistic, and I, I feel like that is something we need a lot right now uh, because we, at least I can speak for myself, feel fractured and um, sometimes disassociated from each other, even though we're connected, but also um, sometimes we're disconnected from each other in very important ways and even disconnected from ourselves and from God. And something about the wholeness and the holisticness of the Celtic sensibilities seems to be like a healing balm for me as, as I read and, and try to understand and try to pick up on, on what's going on with that. Um, of course, I don't live in Ireland, so I, I'm only vicariously <laughs> trying to understand what's happening with that. Um, but maybe you can speak to what the tradition has, has meant to you, and, and maybe that plays into why you settled in Ireland. Yeah, well, my husband and I actually first came on a kind of pilgrimage to Ireland in 2007, and it was our first trip overseas together. Mm. And we spent three weeks in Ireland. He has, you know, ancestors on his mother's side. And uh, I had started to become a, a bit enamored with kind of Celtic spiritual practices. Um, oh, gosh, that book, How the Irish Saved Civilization, mm. you know, years ago. And uh, I, you know, we, we drove around for three weeks and visited all these amazing sites. And the Irish people are very hospitable and warm. And there's just this sense of like these ancient mm. church ruins and stone circles and, you know, all these like ancient structures. There's just a sense of like the sacred kind of saturating the land. And I think I had never been someplace where I felt such a connection to the land before, how the land holds so many stories. I think living, when I lived in Seattle before, I think that was true. It holds a lot of stories, but they come from the indigenous traditions, you know, the Native American traditions, which, while I love and honor and respect, aren't my own. Mm. And so there was something about Ireland that kind of captivated us. And, you know, fast forward a few years, I have Austrian citizenship through my father and my husband and I decided to go on a little adventure, a life <laughs> adventure and sell everything we own. And <laughs> we actually moved to Vienna, Austria first. And, but Ireland was definitely one of the places we wanted to try living. And so when Vienna didn't work out kind of as a long-term plan, Ireland uh, called to us mm. and we've been here now for almost seven years and, just yeah I keep falling more and more in love with this place with the stories with the land with the sites with the people 
it's but I don't you don't have to live in Ireland to really appreciate I think some of the gifts of this this Celtic tradition I think people are really hungry mm-hmm. for that particularly you know I think one of the things that people are really drawn to is because Christianity came to Ireland in a way that was fairly nonviolent mm. uh, that there there was like a a synergy or a um, kind of melding between the old tradition and the new. Uh, and so you have this kind of lovely sense of like the earth honoring wisdom of those pre-Christian traditions that kind of got woven into a lot of the Christian practices. And so the Irish kind of Christian practice that developed was, I'd say, more indigenous to this land and this area than, say, other places where you have kind of the Roman church that came in and sort of imposed mm. their, um, you know, their sort of way. And eventually Rome did come in and impose everything, you know, the way they wanted it in, say, the 11th, 12th century. But you have a several hundred year period where uh, Christianity had this very distinct kind of flavor, uh, you know, so to speak, mm-hmm. because it was sort of outside that Roman Empire and had a different um, kind of way of developing. So, mm. yeah, right. A lot of the things that that you mention in the in the Celtic tradition really are um, have to do with the the created world, the natural world, and. Yeah. Um, that was really powerful to me as I'm reading some of the, the things in the in the 12 practices that have to do with wells and making the rounds and some of those things that are within the book that I thought, well, now that I'm walking around my own neighborhood or in the, in the natural world, everything doesn't have to be all segmented and or in just in my head as I'm praying, you know, I can, mm-hmm. I can appreciate the natural world and just include it in. And I think, um, and then think of myself as a part of the natural world, uh, even as that might sound very simplistic, but I think I have felt cut off in, in a way from the natural world. Well, yeah, I think we, you know, we all live lives that are very sheltered. You know, we have light and electricity and mm. heating and air conditioning. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, you know, I don't think it's that unusual that we would feel cut off from some of those rhythms, even just the daily rhythms of sunrise and sunset and the, mm. you know, and particularly in Ireland where you're fairly far north, we're actually 10 degrees farther north than even when I lived in Seattle, mm. which, is, which is the northernmost city in the U.S. Mm. And um, so there's, so the difference between light and dark in summer and winter are quite mm remarkable Hmm. and so there's this beautiful gift I think that comes with that where you know we could we could stay inside and just have the lights going on all the time but there's I think as we start to become aware of the outside world more and start to become aware of those seasonal fluctuations and then what what is the invitation of winter Hmm. you know but except you know really a gift of invitation into deep rest and slowing down and into that gift of mystery and Hmm. you know we live in very spring and summer oriented cultures where it's very much about blossoming and fruitfulness and Hmm. so one of my one of my missions is to help people fall more in love with winter And that's just, I think one of the many gifts uh, is that honoring of, of the, of the fullness of the seasons. And, Mm -hmm. you know, even, even the fact that, you know, the different feast days actually begin the night before, you know, with the Mm -hmm. vigil. And so there's a sense that, and actually the, in the Celtic calendar, the, 
season, the new year actually begins November 1st with mm. what's called the Feast of Samhain, which is the same as All Saints and All Souls. But mm. it's really that descent into the dark season. Mm. And so the sense that all life and all renewal comes begins in the dark, you know, mm. just like the gestation in the womb or the mm. seed under the soil. So mm. there's some beautiful ways we can bring that into our own lives and awareness. Mm-hmm. And I love the, in a sense, redemption of the the darkness isn't something that we should always fear, that we should always make negative or um, because that's a very life-giving, uh, you know, sometimes the darkness is the, the, the scary unknown or the thing we fear. Yes. You know, um, that, that in the natural world, that's not true. That's, it's like you're saying, the, the womb, the, the gestation, and yeah. not something to run from. It's something to, that's just part of our world. Yeah, exactly. It's that time of regeneration. And I think so many of us are afraid to slow down in our lives because we're probably afraid of what we're actually going to hear, you know, mm, like the, like yeah. that, you know, deep longing that we might have for some sort of life that feels more alive, but we're, mm. we're needing to stay on this treadmill, sometimes out of necessity, sometimes just out of cultural, mm-hmm. you know, pressures. Uh, and so that gift of you know, the gift of silence and stillness that's from, you know, the whole of the contemplative tradition. But I find that, you know, when we're in these kind of nature-honoring ways of being, that autumn and winter really also help us to Mm. find the gifts in those seasons of our lives. Mm. Thank you for that. I was hoping we could talk a little bit about your poetry and your book, Dreaming of Stones, and maybe you could give a little bit of of background and, and share a few poems, uh, if you'd like to, uh, with our listeners. I've been really appreciating what your poetry throughout the book of the soul's slow ripening as well, but um, now you've dedicated a whole book to poetry. How did that come about? Well, it really was living in Ireland, largely. I've, I've been writing poetry for years and years, mm-hmm. and I've used poetry in my teaching for that long as well. But there's something about Ireland. It's it's an amazingly creative, creatively vibrant place, and particularly Galway, where I live, is it's very it's known as a city of arts and culture. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate enough when I moved here to start taking some poetry workshops with just a community of people who are just amazingly supportive and have wonderful conversations around you know what what poetry means and what makes for good poetry and something about having that community built in and that sense of support and to see the way that the arts are celebrated here as as like very woven into daily life was Mm. part of what helped supported me and basically kind of increasing my own commitment to writing Mm -hmm. poetry and then writing enough poems to put a whole (laughs) collection together. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I thought I would read, actually, since we're talking about kind of darkness, I thought I would read a poem. I have a series of poems in the beginning that are about the hours of the day, which is, you know, the tradition of praying the monastic hours. And um, and Vespers is the prayer uh, service that comes in the evening time. And one of the gifts of that evening awareness, just like we get in autumn, the season of autumn, is that sense of... The things will one day end. You know, there's a real, in the monastic tradition, there's a beautiful um, practice of being aware of your own mortality. 
And the idea is that when I'm when I become really aware of that, it can be a gift because it can remind me how much each moment of my life is a gift, how precious it mm-hmm. is, and to mm-hmm. cherish it. So I just thought I'd read uh, this poem. It's called Vespers. Mm-hmm. The sun slides down the gap between houses. Its amber reach crosses the grass toward me. Shadow of the elder tree has grown long. And I remember under the mulberry spectacle of sky how everything I love will end. This cup of tea with steam ascending, the dog curled right against me, your hands warm over mine, how this sweet leaving of day makes me draw the world as close as possible. Yeah, when I hear hear that as well as ones that pertain to seasons or, or times and the idea of being okay with the, the temporal nature of our lives, then you mm-hmm. you want to cherish those moments and those people that you love. Yeah, I think anyone who's either, you know, getting to midlife or beyond or has mm-hmm. had, you know, maybe an experience of serious illness or lost someone they loved mm-hmm. knows knows that sense of like urgency that that can rise up in those moments of you know what what is it that's what is it that I, I love most in the world and how do i hold it close and how do i let go of all the things that fill up my time you know in ways that aren't aren't really life-giving to me <laughs> yeah you say in your introduction to dreaming of stones uh, poetry is a language carved down to its essence heightened by rhythm and music offering a doorway into a new way of seeing dance between rhythm and image, music and meaning. And I, I for one, have been highlighting poetry uh, on my own program for the last maybe two years or so, Um, (laughs) probably not coincidentally, um, (laughs) (laughs) because um, things seem hard, things in, in public life seem hard to understand and hard to make sense of, things seem chaotic. But there also seems to be in poetry plenty of space to um, maybe just plenty of space. And words don't seem to, to help us. Um, language seems to fail us, but somehow poetry seems to make up for the difference. And uh, I, I'm sure that you have your own ideas about you know, how poetry comes alongside us. But I've noticed that Poetry has made a huge difference in people's lives, um, especially sensitive, creative people uh, as of late. And it's been like soul nourishment for me. Yeah, I just, I think there's such a gift when, there's so many times when a poem has met me in a particular moment of my life mm. and helped give helped give words to some experience that I wasn't able to express quite adequately before but Mm. because poetry is language compressed and Mm. you know sort of in that you know even though it's using sort of that that language mode it's in that more kind of right brain Mm. hemisphere where things yeah don't have to necessarily make linear sense (laughs) yeah right 
Yeah, it's kind of the in, in a sense some of the best of both worlds, some of the best of the the language side and and then the the spatial side or the you know the artistic side kind of coming together to form something new. Um, I I was wondering if you use poetry in your spiritual direction in your um, in some of the work that you do with others. Does that play in at all? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. When I I don't actually do a lot of individual direction uh, at the moment mm -hmm. uh, anymore, but when I when I did, I almost always would mm -hmm. kind of use a poem as a threshold moment at the beginning of a session to help someone slow down, shift and shift the consciousness out of that more linear planning side of the brain into that part of that part of the brain that's a little bit more open and spacious and receiving and I use loads of poetry in my retreat work mm. uh, especially in the um, writing retreats that I lead most of the exercises that I lead people in and in terms of kind of free writing and uh, poetry writing is uh, are taken from you know po other poems. It's kind of lines that jump off you know the page for mm -hmm. you and and then are like a doorway into your own writing reflection. And uh, that's how a lot of my poems get written. Ultimately, the line that I started with from another poet might you know change or shift after the poem is written. But a lot of times, and I also try and read poetry myself in the mornings mm. when I'm in, when I'm in that more liminal space, you know, in that frame of mind, mm -hmm. if, if I can reach for a poetry book before I reach for my phone to check my email, I, <laughs> exactly. I count that as a, uh, as a very, very good start to the day. <laughs> exactly. That's a huge win. It's like yes. reaching for a water bottle instead of a whiskey bottle in the morning. <laughs> That's what somebody said, uh, you know, if you reached for a whiskey bottle every morning, someone would say, what? you know, get, get help. Right. But we reach for, we reach for our phone every morning and nobody says you need help. <laughs> uh, but, um, why don't you talk a little bit about Abby of the arts and, and some of the work you do with, with writers and some of what you offer. Um, there's quite a bit. And, and I was uh, going around your site. I, I thought, I, I'm sure you plan plenty of margin in your day cause you're a contemplative, but it looks like there's lots and lots going on. Yeah, there is a lot going on. <laughs> uh, well, we basically do a combination of online ministry and presence through, well, we have a, a newsletter that goes out, that actually goes out every day, but I'm thankfully, thankfully, I don't have to do all the work myself. I do believe a lot in collaboration and having other people help support me. So I do have someone who basically takes quotes from different books and classes that I've done and sends those out every day as a little tool, you know, a little moment mm -hmm. of reflection. Mm. But then we offer some online retreats uh, where there, and a lot of our work is focused on the expressive arts as a tool for exploration. So that means, you know, looking, drawing on, you know, poetry or other kinds of writing, mm. but also exploring some visual art expression, exploring some movement. I have a dear friend, Betsy Beckman, who um, does a lot of teaching with me, and she's a dancer and a movement therapist, so we do mm. a lot of, and some of those movements are, you know, gesture prayers that go along with songs that we've commissioned, 
and we've also put together a couple of albums. So, mm. so there's a lot going on there. <laughs> um, and then we do, in terms of live programs, uh, we do a number of things, mainly um, some pilgrimages, some of which mm. are out of Galway City, where my husband and I live. Uh, a couple in um, Germany, one for Hildegard of Bingen, mm. who's a great mystic that I love, mm. and one out of Vienna, Austria, because that's where we lived and um, have a lot of heart connection there. Mm. And then the retreats uh, are mostly either writing retreats. Uh, there's also a body of work i am sort of been developing a lot the last few years that I call the Earth Monastery work, and it's kind of through different contemplative and creative practices, uh, nurturing a, a deeper sense of intimacy with the earth uh, in a variety of ways. And so that we have a whole retreat called the Earth Monastery Intensive mm. that we lead in Scotland that we do for that. So lots of different, I mean, they're all, they all have the common sort of theme of contemplative rhythms and creative practices, sort of the doorways into whatever the material is that we're exploring. Hmm. I wish we were neighbors, Christine. <laughs> I just was like, I gotta move to Galway right now. Um, <laughs> I do I, say a lot of our pilgrims who come to Galway are totally fall in love with this place because it's very enchanting. Charming. Know, like, buy a buy a one way ticket because if it's round trip, you've already made a commitment to leave. But <laughs> yeah. uh, um, I also noticed that. You you have a lot of stuff related to dream work. I was going to not even bring this up because I personally have incredible an incredible dream life. I've had lucid dreams since I was very young and, and explored a lot of things with dreaming. But I know that, you know, plenty of people, you know, don't even remember their dreams. And when I've done episodes on dreams, it, you know, it's like take it or leave it. You know, people <laughs> either are like don't care or really care a lot. But um, I was interested in, um, I, I, you know, read some of your work that talks a lot about how dreams have worked into um, you decide discernment process, basically. And, um, and do you do anything with dream work in terms of what you offer or any, anything like that? Yeah, some of our online retreats in particular, because they lend themselves the online retreats tend to be, say, anywhere from six to 12 weeks long, so they, yeah. over time, so they lend themselves to having that. So some of, a couple of our retreats, we've had like a regular dream work um, kind of day that each week, you know, you have a chance to reflect on any dreams that you've had. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I encourage people, I'm not somebody who really remembers a lot of dreams myself mm -hmm. either, and I don't, I don't have really vivid, vibrant, long dreams either, but the ones that I've had that I've worked with have always been pretty profound and mm. life-changing in a lot <laughs> of ways. And, you know, when you look at, you know, both in, this, in the scriptures, the Hebrew and the Christian scriptures, you look at the Celtic um, monastic tradition, you look at some of the other mystics, you know, there's this theme of dreams coming to speak to these people's lives in very intimate and direct ways. And, you know, sending them on new courses mm. uh, on their journeys. And while they may not work so directly in our own lives now, I do think they offer that possibility. I think part of it is that we don't live in a culture that really makes space for, you know, like 
Like what if what what if we woke up in the morning and instead of reaching for our phones, mm-hmm. we just we reached for the journal and just wrote whatever came to mind, even if we didn't remember a dream, and we just mm. stayed connected to that like liminal awareness and consciousness. And then what if we went in to the kitchen and if we had a friend or a partner, you know, that we could just share like some of those first moments mm. with another person? Because I do think there's something about the communal aspect of and having a dream witnessed by another Mm. that also helps kind of help it bring it to life Mm -hmm. for people so I think some of it's that we just don't have this the structures and the practices built into our lives to help us really nurture and nourish that part of our lives but not to say that Mm. it's still not a gift that that could be claimed in small ways if you know if it's something that's someone finds challenging I think there there are some doorways into it Mm. Well, before we move on to the other book, I was wondering if you might want to read one more poem. Sure. Um, I'm going to read, uh, I think I'll read the opening poem mm. uh, from the book. It's it's called This Is Not a Poem, so I, I jokingly <laughs> call it my my not poem poem. <laughs> <laughs> so, And this is really a poem about... Um, for me, about what writing poetry is about, kind of Mm. this deepened way of seeing the world. This is not a poem, but a rain-soaked day keeping me inside with you and you loving me like a storm. This is not a poem, but a record of a hundred mornings when the sun lifted above the stone hills outside my window. This is time for boiling water poured into the chipped cup holding elderflower, hawthorn, mugwort. This is not a poem, but me standing perfectly still on the edge of the lake in autumn, watching a hundred starlings like prayer flags fluttering. This is my face buried in May's first pink peony, petals just now parting, eyes closed, inhaling. This is not a poem, but the field beyond thought and judgment and the ways I tear myself apart on too many fine days. This is the place where clocks no longer matter unless it is the dusty gold watch which belonged to my grandfather. This is not a poem, but me standing desolate in a parade of white gravestones where a single bluebird lands and sings. This is the bunch of Gerbera daisies you handed to me one foggy February afternoon, pale yellow like the long-forgotten sun. This is the first bite of bread after too many hungry days. This is my grandmother whispering her secrets to me after dusk. This is not a poem, but me taking off my clothes and stepping eagerly into the cold mid-December sea. This is the silence between breaths, and in that stillness, this is me saying yes, and yes, and yes. Mm. Thank you. Mm. One of the things I wanted to explore a little bit with you and, and ask you about was on page 29 of the book, The Soul Slow Ripening, 12 Celtic Practices mm-hmm. for Seeking the Sacred, um, something I've never encountered before, um, and it's... Um, Peregrinatio, I guess. I'm not sure. Did I say that right? Yeah, you did. I <laughs> <laughs> can't believe it. Um, maybe you could go into what is meant by that. And um, I, I really appreciated that. Um, I gained a lot from that. And um, that might pique the interest of listeners, too, to see what else. This, this book is just, you know, these 12 practices 
um, you know, some of them I've, I've heard of before and some of them I never have, but um, it's just fantastic. And I, I really deeply appreciate this book. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, Peregrinatio um, is w- one of the practices that's quite unique to Ireland in particular, the Irish monastic tradition. And it's a form of pilgrimage, but instead of making a pilgrimage to a specific place, like say the Holy Land or, um, you know, some specific site. In Peregrinatio, the journey was really one of surrendering the direction to the kind of current of of divine love is one way to think about it. And one of the ways that the monks did this uh, was to step into a boat that was called a coracle, just a simple little wood frame boat with a hide on it, and to not bring any rudder or oars, so no way to steer the boat themselves, mm. and to step into the boat and then let the current, the wind and the sea, carry them to what they called the place of their resurrection. So there's a lot of aspects to this. I mean, the most significant of which is probably this sense of laying down your own agendas, your own need to direct the course, mm-hmm. and completely surrendering. And so there's, again, this sense that the natural elements are working in harmony with that divine grace and, and leading you to that place. Uh, St. Columkill, who's also known as St. Columba, this is, the legend says that's how he ended up uh, coming from Ireland to Iona, and that's where he founded you know, his monastic community. Now some of the some of the monks they don't they don't necessarily do the boat route they it actually comes through dreams so mm. for instance uh, Saint Gobnet um, she was a woman saint who had a dream and she was told to find the place where the nine white deer were standing mm. and uh, it's a really wonderful story and she journeys for miles many many miles over the land. Uh, to find them. And it says she sees the three white deer first and then the six white deer and she has mm. to keep going and going. And finally yeah. she sees the nine white deer and that's the place of her resurrection. And that kind of, that idea of the place of your resurrection is kind of the place where you are called to where your own gifts come alive in service to the community. So there's like a mutuality that happens. And some monks, you know, think that they've found the place of their resurrection, but then several years later, a dream comes to them and they're prompted to go on another journey. So Mm. it's sort of that, again, staying open to how the spirit is working. So there's this real radical sense of yielding and surrendering that I think is really remarkable uh, in these stories and one that you know I, I joke when I'm teaching this on pilgrimage <laughs> that I don't recommend you try this at home in terms of stepping into a boat without a, any oars but <laughs> but the sense of like you know reflecting on what are the ways that I really try and steer my life mm-hmm. you know too strongly and what are the what are the goals and agendas that I have and the expectations I have that are getting in the way of me actually finding what what would bring me most alive and and i think i fell in love with the idea when we had moved to ireland and i had heard of the term before but i wasn't as intimately familiar with it and we met um this wonderful man dara malloy he's one of our guides now for our groups and he told us about peregrinatio and i was like oh my gosh this is what we've been doing because we kind of just stepped (laughs) off you know the edge of the the land and and just see where the spirit you know led us to so 
Yeah, it's it. I mean, it obviously there's times too where you're like, "What am I doing? <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea where I'm going or what this all means." But the cultivating that sense of deep trust and it's a beautiful practice. It, it really challenges our sense of control, and at least yeah. even if you're not jumping in a boat and just seeing where it goes, that you can call into question how many things you're, you know trying to to drive you know take the wheel and drive your life in the direction you wish it to go and then questioning those um that presumption about i see where my life is going and i hope god will tag along (laughs) yeah absolutely absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) which is you know the the american way probably (laughs) um but uh, yeah and and would you say that that is distinctly celtic or do you find it in other like I haven't heard of it before, but I, I really don't know. Is it sourced in that or some? Yeah, as far as I can tell, it's actually distinct to the Irish Celtic tradition, which, mm. I mean, there's also Celtic spirituality up in, um, you know, Scotland and Wales and mm-hmm. um, in some of France as well. Mm-hmm. But as far as I can tell, that was actually very unique to Ireland in particular. Mm-hmm. And my book focuses mainly on practices that I've discovered while living in Ireland, which mm-hmm. some of which are unique to this land in particular, uh, although some, you know, share some commonalities with some of those other mm-hmm. lands as well. So, yeah, I don't, and I don't know, uh, I don't know. I, I would say that it comes from an earlier, you know, pre-Christian tradition of setting off and wandering and, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, so with a different kind of, maybe impetus, but Mm -hmm. that similar sense of letting go of one's, Mm -hmm. yeah, need to steer the course. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's really fascinating. The, the other thing I was hoping we could talk about a little bit, and there's, again, it was really hard to pick, um, soul friendship is, is really near and dear to my heart, um, encircling and walking the rounds were, were both, you know, it's kind of sort of similarly related, but, um, Mm -hmm. sort of new to me and, and very beautiful. Um, but I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about the practice of blessing each moment because one of the things I love is that um, keeping an awareness and, and being awake where we are and present in the moment um, for especially in regards to cultivating gratitude. And um, this is one of those things mm-hmm. that I've found so nourishing and rich in my own life and something I I hope to cultivate my listeners, I, if, if at all possible. And I thought this is such a beautiful practice that could could really spurn that on. Yeah, I I find it remarkable. Now, this particular practice you do find in other traditions, particularly mm-hmm. the Jewish tradition, is mm-hmm. one where you you find quite a lovely. Um, yeah, a lovely sense of blessing, blessing each moment as the day unfolds. But in the Celtic tradition, you have a whole set of uh, of blessings that are for you know awakening, for you know washing, washing up, for setting mm-hmm. forth on a journey, for eating, for ending the day, and the sense of it really is about kindling our own awareness and our own aliveness and our own presence to each moment as it unfolds and to remember it as gift to kind of go back to what we were Mm. talking about earlier in terms of our sense of our own mortality. I think these practices kind of go, go close together because I think the more we do, you know, acknowledge our own limitations, the more we realize Mm. that, that each moment does present itself as a, as a, great gift to us and 
the more that we can, I think, cultivate this sense of gratitude and blessing for all of the ordinary things of our lives, that we might even start to bless some of the more difficult mm. things of our lives. Not to not to say that it's God's will or anything like that, but we might find blessing even in the midst of some of the difficult times, whether it's just the, you know, somebody reaching out to us for with companionship or mm. the blessing of tears or, you know, things like that. When I lead um, some of the writing retreats I lead, I do this practice that I think can be very illuminating. I send people out uh, you know, into some beautiful na- natural space, and I invite them to write a blessing of what they see, you know, blessing the trees and the sunlight and the clouds and whatever that is. And it's always this very beautiful prayer of gratitude. And then they come back and they write that. And then I say, you know, could you write a, a blessing now for something that's either really ordinary mm. or something that's really difficult? So, for instance, like, could you write a blessing for doing the laundry mm. or for wash or for washing the dishes mm. or for, you know, uh, there's a poem. I won't read it here, but it's by another poet named Kim Moore. And she has a poem called In Praise of Arguing. <laughs> and it's just, it's a really playful poem. And it sort of like lets you see, you know, it's, it's sort of about, you know, how conflict can sometimes lead us to like more communication with one another Mm. in different ways so you know it's sort of that I think blessing is a way of helping us to see the world more deeply and more clearly and to cultivate that sense of gratitude for what we have Mm. right it's true that as you um, find blessing in the midst of whatever circumstances you're in you get better at at doing just that, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. it's like a practice of it, in practice of finding gratitude too. Because you, you can have the most miserable of circumstances, like if you have an illness or an illness of a child or a loved one, and you think there's nothing, there's nothing good about this at all. But sometimes you can um, just the the fact that you can look for blessing in itself is a blessing. Yeah, that you yeah. would desire to look for it, um, mm-hmm. and and that might be all that you got at that point. Just that you want to look for blessing is yeah. somehow a gift. So um, we we have to hold on to these little threads sometimes, but um, yeah, it still I think puts us in um, a frame of mind to receive any gifts that might come our way. And uh, it, I guess I guess it's just kind of like the the habit of gratitude opens us up to such more such hope and joy that's available that is uh, a wrapped gift that we might not unwrap you know um, yeah well you know and it's I, it's also connected a bit to the idea of peregrinatio because there's mm. a sense how we sometimes move through life with certain expectations about how things should be or how we want our lives to be or what we think should happen. Mm. And so sometimes when those things don't happen, we feel disappointed or cynical. Mm-hmm. And yet there's a way of, you know, re- reframing not, I mean, not to say there's a definitely a place for grief and anger and all of those things, definitely. But there are times, I think, when we kind of could open ourselves up to, you know, what might be the gift here and what might be the new direction I'm being invited to, you know. So there's that, I think, that sense of, the, you know, the need for control and and steering the course and making that direction are, are woven into all the different aspects of our lives. Mm. Yeah. In, in a sense, there there's... In, at least in some Buddhist tradition, it's, you know, you're going to feel 
suffering if you had these expectations that you were holding on to, these attachments you were holding on to very tightly. The, yeah. the, the way of seeing that God is guiding your path, you, you don't have those same attachments. You're, you're saying, God, you're guiding my path, and you're attaching to the way that God has. And, and so it's a very different kind of orientation. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of one of yielding or surrender, and um, then you can find joy in, in things you might not ordinarily find joy in. But not that not that it's easy, or it's not easy or anything. Yeah, no, it's all it's all a practice, <laughs> a life a lifelong one too. Mm. It's not that we sort of arrive and figure it all out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate the 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 ideas that are. Um, well, in a sense, in a sense, nature is like that as well. So, like the birds are are singing in the moment because they just are, you know. Um, and the the trees are being themselves, and and nature is yes. is just doing its thing now, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, and yeah. and in a way, we're t- sort of just joining up with the natural way of, you know, the tree isn't attached to. Well, I hope everything's going to work out for winter, you know? <laughs> um, and I, yes. think, I think it's kind of interesting how we can, we can set our orientation to a, a more natural way that allows God to, um, we, we just sort of enfold into God's way of, of um, the, the stream or whatever that we're in of God's love or something. And, and there's a really different way of doing that, but in a way it's, uh, a humanizing way for us instead of, um, you know, as we're instead of clawing our way through, <laughs> let me hang yeah. on to this and that and all these things I've decided to set up for my life that are actually false. Yeah, well, David, the poet David White has mm. a wonderful line from one of his poems where he says, Why are we the one terrible part of creation privileged to refuse our own flowering? Mm. And I, I just, I love that. That image, because Tom, you know, Thomas Martin talks about how to be a saint means to be myself, mm. which sounds really simple on the surface of it, but how <laughs> how hard, how much, how many of us like refuse our own flowering, our own, mm. you know, the gifts that really bring us alive? How much we work so hard to keep those hidden, or you mm. know, for any number of reasons. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I do think na- nature has a a beautiful way of re- revealing what that means to just blossom into ourselves and right. yeah follow that unfolding yeah and, and even to not be ourselves just because we're trying to do the right thing even you know yeah yeah <laughs> i'm trying to help people so i'm not going to be myself um yeah it's that's just a, a brilliant a brilliant lesson um i was wondering if there's anything else that you would like to read or, or um, some key part from your book or anything that you're working on whatever you'd like to to speak about um, that, that you'd like to share with my listeners? Uh, well, I thought I'd maybe just read one more poem. Since I brought up the story of St. Gobnet earlier, mm. um, I have a poem about her that I, I, I have to say I really love because I just love this story. And I had a friend who actually turned this poem into a song, which kind of deepened the whole journey for me. But there was some there was something about meditating with her whole desire to find those nine white deer and mm. uh, and that whole and there's a question in the poem that I, I think I sit with a lot. So I'll share that. And just also to say that she's also the patron saint of bees, because that comes up in the poem. Oh. 
So it's called St. Gobnet and the Place of Her Resurrection. On the tiny limestone island, an angel buzzes to Gobnet in a dream, disrupts her plans, sends her in search of nine white deer. She wanders for miles across sea and land until at last they appear. And rather than running toward them, she falls gently to wet ground, sits in silence as light crawls across sky, lets their long legs approach and their soft, curious noses surround her. Breathing slowly, she slides back onto grass and clover and knows nothing surpasses this moment, a heaven of hooves and dew. Is there a place for each of us where we no longer yearn to be elsewhere, where our work is to simply soften, wait, and pay close attention? She smiles as bees gather eagerly around her too, wings humming softly as they collect essence of wildflowers, transmuting labor into gold. So that whole question, you know, is there a place for each of us where we no longer yearn to be elsewhere? I mean, as someone myself who's lived many different places in my life, you know, what is that, that longing for that deep sense of home? And, and also just when I was praying with that story, that sense like, oh, she didn't go running to the deer. I mean, I don't know whether that's mm-hmm. true or not in the story, but she let them approach her. And I think that that's part of, for me, what the contemplative life is about is not always reaching or running after something, but let, you know, letting myself soften and open and letting it approach me instead of like, I'm, I'm always searching and searching for God, mm-hmm. but what if I just need to soften and open myself so that I can be found? You know, mm. it's a very subtle difference, but yeah. pretty profound. <laughs> Something oh. I'm still definitely still working on. <laughs> oh yeah, that's beautiful. In in Galway, do you feel at home, or do you feel like a foreigner? I definitely feel very much at home, and I'm very aware that I am not an Irish person. You know, mm. we have lots of Irish friends, and I'm. I'm I'm very aware of being in the role of an outsider, but in the sense that I think I can see certain things like cultural patterns and the things that I can appreciate that aren't mm-hmm. that I don't swim in, mm-hmm. um, and and there like you know sometimes someone in the shop you know will say oh are you you know you're going home for a holiday or something mm-hmm. and I was like well this is home mm-hmm. so you know they I think sometimes in the Irish mind like America must be home mm-hmm. but but there isn't really any place in the states that I would consider home anymore mm-hmm. and uh and you know this is our this is definitely our home so it's a it's a lovely it's kind of like dancing on mm-hmm. the border between home and exile and I think both of those are really important places to kind of, yeah, rest, lean into and listen to what the the gifts and the invitations are. And I, I actually do love being, you know, being being in that sort of outsider role and yet also feeling very welcomed and, yeah, very yeah. much rooted here. It also can help you to not fall asleep too, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, when we moved to Ireland, you know, we thought we had lived in Austria where, of mm. course, German is the main language and my husband didn't speak German. Mm. And we thought, all right, well, moving to an English-speaking country would be so much easier. <laughs> but, you know, even just the phrases and some of the grammar, there's so many things that catch you off guard, you know, that are very different from the States. And I love it. I love it because it does. It, 
it makes me, yeah. yeah. It doesn't, it lets me not fall into like all the expectations that I have and yeah, <laughs> to stay awake to that. <laughs> and one of the things I really appreciate about your book was um, you're talking about going out into nature until you see something that shimmers. Maybe you can, we can just end mm-hmm. on um, your explanation of, of what that means about shimmering and and this in a sort of it's like sort of like a thin place i guess um and uh i i guess that's a good way to close out but in, at the same time i'll i'll also ask you where people can find you where, where are good places for people to find you other on twitter facebook website address and i'll include that those things in show notes as well but if somebody hears this and they'd like to find you right away uh, what are some of those places Sure. Well, just to say that shimmering for me is those moments in life when you see something and it catches your attention for reasons that you may not understand in a logical, linear way. It may just be a moment of beauty. It may be where literally the light is catching in a certain way, but you just have the sense of like maybe your breath catches, your heart catches, and you mm-hmm. You just—it's an invitation to pause and to be with it and to open and to see how the how the divine might be speaking in that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it might be a challenging thing too. It doesn't necessarily have to be something that feels good. It could just be mm-hmm. something like, "Oh, I need to." Something is wanting to work on me here. Uh, and yeah, and people would be welcome to come to abbeyofthearts.com. That's our website. We have a newsletter and we have, you know, loads of reflections that I've written over the years on the site. Uh, we're on Facebook as well. We have a Facebook page for Abbey of the Arts. We also have a private um group called the holy disorder of dancing monks mm-hmm. where um, people people have some conversations and that's a free group for people to join uh, and some of the posts go up on twitter and i do a little bit with instagram but not not as diligently <laughs> facebook tends to be my mm-hmm. my main gravitational pull <laughs> it's hard to do them all <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah well this has been so lovely i i really appreciate that you would be my guest and I hope you could return sometime and we could talk about another topic perhaps. That sounds great, Lisa. Thank you. I've enjoyed it very much. If you've listened to the show and you've thought, wow, I wish I could find out a little bit more about someone mentioned or a book or a website, that's what show notes are for. Just go to patreon.com forward slash sparkmymuse. Patreon is like patron with an E. Patreon.com forward slash sparkmymuse. If you enjoyed the show, please rate it on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening.